Chapter 18 of The Dude Wrangler by Caroline Lockhart. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Matt Perard. Chapter 18 The Millionaires. Pinky was not one to keep his left hand from knowing what his right hand is doing, so the report had been widely circulated that a bunch of millionaires were to be the first guests at the new Lolabama Dude Ranch in consequence of which aside from the fact that the horses ran across a sidewalk and knocked over a widow's picket fence the advent of pinky and wally and prouty caused no little excitement since it was deduced that the party would arrive on the afternoon train if to look at one millionaire is a pleasure and a privilege for folk who are kept scratching to make ends meet the citizens of Prouty might well be excused for leaving their occupations and turning out en masse to see a bunch. The desire to know how a person might look who could write his check in six or more figures and get it cashed explained the appearance of the mail contingent on this station platform waiting for the train to come in, while the expectation of a view of the latest styles accounted for their wives. Among those present, as the phrase goes, was Mr. Tucker. Although Mr. Tucker had not been in a position to make any open accusations relative to the disappearance of his cash, the cordial relations between Wally and Pinky and himself had been seriously disturbed. So much so, in fact, that they might have tripped over him in the street without bringing the faintest look of recognition to his eyes mr tucker however was too much of a diplomat to harbor a grudge against persons on a familiar footing with nearly a dozen millionaires therefore when the combined efforts of wallie and pinky on the box stopped the coach reasonably close to the station platform mr tucker stepped out briskly and volunteered to stand at the leaders heads do you suppose we'll have much trouble when the train pulls in wallie asked in an undertone i don't look for it said pinky they might snort a little and jump when the engine comes but they'll get used to it that twenty-mile drive this morning took off the wire age some pinky's premises seemed to be correct for the four stood with hanging heads and sleepy-eyed while everyone watched the horizon for the smoke which would herald the coming of the train your years is full of sand and it looks like you would have shaved or had your whiskers drove in and clinched pinky eyed wallie critically as they waited together on the seat looks as if you would have had your teeth fixed wallie retorted it's been nearly a year since that horse kicked them out what would i go wasting money like that for pinky demanded they're front ones. I don't need them to eat. You'd look better, Wallie argued. What do I care how I look? I aim to do what's right by these dudes. I'll saddle for them, and I'll answer questions and show them the sights, but I don't need teeth to do that. Pinky was obstinate on some points, so Wallie knew it was useless to persist. Nevertheless, the absence of so many of his friend's teeth 
troubled him more than a little, for the effect was startling when he smiled, and Pinky was no matinee idol at his best. There she comes! As one, the spectators on the platform stretched their necks to catch the first glimpse of the train bearing its precious cargo of millionaires. Wallie felt suddenly nervous and wished he had taken more pains to dress, as he visualized the prosperous-looking, well-groomed folk of the Colonial Hotel. As the mixed train backed up to the station from the Y, it was seen that the party was on the back platform of the one-passenger coach, ready to get off. The engine stopped so suddenly that the cars bumped, and the party on the rear platform were thrown violently into each other's arms. The expression on old Mr. Penrose's face was so fiendish as Mrs. C.D. Budlong toppled backward and stood on his bunion that Wallie forgot the graceful speech of welcome he had framed. Mr. Penrose had traveled all the way in one felt slipper, and now, as the lady inadvertently ground her heel into the tender spot, Mr. Penrose looked, as he felt, murderous. "'Get off my foot!' he shouted. Mrs. Budlong obeyed by stepping on his other foot. Mr. Apple, who had lurched over the railing, observed sarcastically, "'They ought to put that engineer on a stock train.' The party did not immediately recognize Wallie in his western clothes, but when they did they waved grimy hands at him and cried delightedly, "'Here we are, Wallie!' Wallie made no reply to this self-evident fact, and, indeed, he could not, for he was too aghast at the shabby appearance of his wealthy friends to think of any that was appropriate. They looked as if they had ransacked their attics for clothes in which to make the trip. The best Wallie could immediately manage was a limp handshake and a sickly grin as the coal baron and street railway magnate Mr. Henry Apple stepped off in a suit of which he had undoubtedly been defrauding his janitor for some years. Mrs. J. Harry Stott was handed down in a pink silk creation, through the lace insertion of which one could see the cinders that had settled in the fat crease of her neck. While Mrs. Stott recognized its inappropriateness, she had decided to give it a final wear and save a fresh gown. Upon her heels was Mr. Stott, in clothes which bore mute testimony to the fact that he led a sedentary life. Mr. Stott was a giner for business purposes, and he was wearing all his lodge pens in the expectation of obtaining special privileges from brother members while traveling. C.D. Budlong wore a blazer and a pair of mountain boots that had involved him in a quarrel with a Pullman conductor, who had called him a vandal for snagging a plush seat with the hobnails. At his wife's request, Mr. Budlong was bringing a canvas telescope filled with a variety of tinned fruits. It was so heavy that it sagged from the handle as he bore it in front of him with both hands, so no one was deceived by his heroic efforts to carry it jauntily and make it appear that he did not notice the weight. The only stranger in the party was Mrs. Henry Apple's maiden aunt, Miss Lizzie Philbrick, sixty or thereabouts. 
aunt lizzie was a refugee from the city of mexico and had left that troublesome country in such a panic that she had brought little besides a bundle of the reports of a humane society with which she had been identified and an onyx apple to which it was assumed there was much sentiment attached since she refused to trust it to the baggage car and was carrying it in her hand aunt lizzie looked as if she had been cast for a period play early general grant perhaps as she descended wearing a beaded silk mantle and a bonnet with strings be careful aunt lizzie look where you step the chorus of warnings was due to the fact that aunt lizzie already had fallen fourteen times in transit a tackhead seeming sufficient to trip her up and now quite as though they had shouted the reverse aunt lizzie stumbled and dropped the onyx apple upon old mr penrose's felt shod foot this was too much mr penrose shouted furiously i wish you'd lose that damn thing when it came to altered looks wallie had no monopoly on surprise the happy family found it difficult to reconcile this rather tough-looking young man with a nice neat boy who had blown them kisses from the motor bus now what sort of a conveyance have you provided inquired mr stott who had taken the initiative in such matters during the trip wallie pointed proudly to the stagecoach with pinky on the box and mr tucker standing faithfully at the leaders heads everybody exclaimed in delight and lost no time in greeting pinky whose response was cordial but brief to wallie he said out of the corner of his mouth load em on the roan is getting a hump in his back we have twenty-five miles to make wallie hinted our luggage how about that inquired mr stott it will follow wallie opened the stagecoach door as a further hint i want to get some snapshots of the town said mr penrose who had his camera and a pair of field glasses slung over his shoulder what an experience this will be to write home gushed miss gasket let's stop at the office and mail postcards pinky leaned over the side and winked at wallie who urged uneasily we must start twenty-five miles is a good distance to make before dark switzerland has nothing to surpass this view declared mr stott who had never been in switzerland everyone took a leisurely survey of the mountains and the air is very like that of the scotch moors no one ever would have suspected from his positive tone that mr stott never had been in scotland either i am sorry to insist said wallie in response to another significant look from pinky but we really will have to hurry thus urged they proceeded to clamber in except miss gertie eyster who was patting the roan on the nose dear itty horsey itty horse eats human flesh you'd better not get too close said pinky miss eyster looked admiringly at pinky in his red shirt and declared with an arch glance you're so droll mr fripp since mr fripp thought something of the sort himself he did not contradict her but told himself that she was 
not so bad for a dude i hope the horses are perfectly safe because my heart isn't good and when i'm frightened it goes bad and my lips get just as b l u e they look all right now said pinky after giving them his careful attention miss eyster observed wistfully i hope i will get well and strong out here if you'd go out in a cow camp for a couple of months it would do you a world of good pinky advised her you'd fatten up mr budlong who had gotten in the coach got out again to inquire of pinky if he was sure the horses were perfectly gentle i'd trust my own stepmother behind em anywhere mr budlong who had had a stepmother intimated that that was not convincing proof and returned to the coach declaring that he had no fears for himself but his wife was nervous to show his contempt of danger mr stott said poof wallie having closed the door climbed up beside pinky who unlocked the brake i always feel helpless shut inside a vehicle declared mr budlong mr stott again said recklessly poof just as he said poof the leaders rose on their hind legs mr tucker who rose with them clung valiantly to their bits and dangled there one of the wheel horses laid down and the other tried to climb over the back of the leader in front of him while the bystanders scattered there seems to be some kind of a ruckus mr apple remarked as he stood up and leaned out the window before he had time to report however two side wheels went over the edge of the station platform tipping the coach to an angle which sent all the passengers on the upper side into the laps of those on the lower aunt lizzie pitched headlong and with such force that when she struck mr stott on the mouth with her onyx apple she cut his lip you'll kill somebody with that yet mr stott glared at the keepsake aunt lizzie scrambled back into her seat and looked composedly at the drop of blood he offered in evidence on the corner of his handkerchief mr apple who undoubtedly would have gone on through the window when the coach lurched had it not been for his wife's presence of mind in clutching him by the coat demanded in an angry voice instead of showing the gratitude she had reason to expect what you doing tearing the clothes off my back wished you'd leave me be it had been years since mr apple had spoken to his wife like that mrs apple opened her reticule took out a handkerchief and held it to her eyes in the meantime the side wheels had dropped off the station platform and the coach had righted itself but in spite of all that pinky and wallie could do the leaders swung sharply to the left and dragged the wheel horses after them down the railroad track when the wheels struck the ties mrs mattie gaskett bounded into the air as if she had been sitting upon a steel coil that had suddenly been released she was wearing a tall crowned hat of a style that had not been in vogue for some years and as she struck the roof it crackled and went shut like an accordion so that it was of an altogether different shape when she dropped back to the seat oh my she exclaimed 
blinking in a dazed fashion as she felt of her hat. Old Mr. Penrose, who had elongated his naturally long neck preparatory to looking out the window, also struck the roof, and with such force that his neck was bent like the elbow in a stovepipe when he came down. He said such a bad word that Aunt Lizzie Philbrick exclaimed, Oh, how dreadful! and asked him to remember where he was. Mr. Penrose replied that he did not care where he was, that if her neck had been driven into her shoulders a foot, she would say something, too. Mrs. J. Harry Stott and Mr. Budlong, who had bumped heads so hard that the thud was heard, were eyeing each other in an unfriendly fashion as they felt at their foreheads waiting for the lump. Mr. Stott, who was still patting his lip with his handkerchief, declared, Such roads as these retard the development of a county. Undoubtedly, agreed Mr. Apple, getting up out of the aisle, they are a disgrace. We are going away from the mountains. I don't understand. Mr. Stott smiled reassuringly at Mrs. Budlong and told her that Wally and Pinky, of course, knew the road. I don't care, she insisted stoutly. I believe something's wrong. We are going awfully fast, and if I thought it was as rough as this all the way, I should prefer to walk. You must remember that you are now in the West, Mrs. Budlong, Mr. Stott replied in a kind but reproving tone, and we cannot expect. Mrs. Budlong, who had just bitten her tongue, retorted sharply, We certainly could expect a more comfortable conveyance than this. If I live to get out, I shall never step foot in it again. When we stop at the post office, said Mr. Budlong in a tone of decision, as he clung to the window frame, I shall hire a machine and go out. The rest of you can do as you like. If there was dissatisfaction inside the coach, it was nothing at all compared to the excitement on the box as the horses galloped down the railroad track. The leaders' mouths might have been bound in cast iron for all the attention they paid to the pull on their bits, although Pinky and Wally were using their combined strength in their efforts to stop the runaways. Them dudes must be getting an awful churning, said Pinky through his clenched teeth. We'll be lucky if we are not ditched, Wally panted as he braced his feet. Wouldn't that be some rank? Even if we rim a tire, we got to swing off this track, for there's a culvert somewheres along here, and... Pink! Pinky had no time to look, but he knew what the sharp exclamation meant. Pull my gun out. Lay it on the seat. I can stop him if I must. Pinky's face was white under its sunburn, and his jaw was set. How far we got? About a hundred yards, Wally answered, breathing heavily. We'll give em one more try. My hands are playing out. You pop it to the roan when I say. Cut him wide open. If I can't turn him, I'll drop him. They'll pile up and stop. It's the only way. Pinky dug his heels into the foot-brace in front, and took a tighter wrap of the lines around his hands. He could see the culvert ahead, 
His voice was hoarse as he gave the word. Wallie stood up and swung the long, rawhide braided whip. At the same time, Pinky put all his failing strength on one line. As the roan felt the tremendous pull on his mouth and the whip thong stung his head and neck, he turned at a sharp angle, dragging his mate. The wheel horses followed, and some of the stout oak spokes splintered in the wheels as they jerked the coach over the rail. The pallid pair exchanged a quick glance of unutterable relief. The horses were still running, but their speed was slackening as Pinky swung them in a circle toward the town. Dragging the heavy coach over sagebrush, hummocks, and through sand had winded them so that they were almost ready to quit when they turned down the main street. If we'd a hit that culvert, we might a killed off half our dudes. That would have been what I call notorious hard luck, Pinky had just observed, when Wallie commenced to whip the horses to a run once more. What you doing that for? He turned in astonishment. Let him go. I know what I'm about. I think you're crazy, but I'll do what you say till I'm sure. Pinky answered as Wallie continued to lay on the lash. Imperative commands were coming from inside the coach as it tore through the main street. Let me out of this death trap! Old Mr. Penrose's bellow of rage was heard above the chorus of voices demanding that Pinky stop. But it was not until they were well on the road to the ranch, and Prouty was a speck, that the horses were permitted to slow down. Then Pinky turned and looked at Wallie admiringly. You sure got a head on you, old pard. We wouldn't a had a dude left if we'd let em out while they was mad. It just occurred to me in time, said Wallie complacently. You don't suppose any of em'll slip out and run back? No, I think we're all right if nothing more happens between here and the ranch. After a time, Pinky remarked, That lady with the bad heart she must have been scared. I'll bet her lips were purple as plum, don't you? But Wallie, who was far more interested in the probable fact that the coach, as a source of revenue, could no longer be counted on than in the color of Miss Eister's lips, mumbled that he didn't know. End of chapter 18